Amen. Hello, everyone. Um, <clears throat> and uh, hello to those of you who are watching online as well. Um, just, uh, it's worth saying as well that although uh, I've been back a few weeks and you've seen me on stage, this is uh, the first time I've, I've spoken at, since our sabbatical, um, and some of you have not yet seen M. I just wanted to reassure you that I didn't leave her <laughs> in New Zealand. <laughs> Uh, she's actually still at home, uh, and like many of the people who are watching um, online, uh, is feeling a little bit cautious about returning. Um, she has underlying health conditions, which many of you know about, and our older two children are asthmatic, so she's being a little bit more cautious. Uh, but that's the beauty of hybrid, right? Some of you can be here in person, and some of you can be watching at home. But she sends uh, her love from Auckland. No, I'm joking. She sends. She's only in Southbourne. Um, but this is the first time that I've spoken after we returned uh, from our extended uh, sabbatical. And I woke up this morning feeling a little bit nervous. And I'm not sure if it's because I haven't done this for a while and I'm feeling a little bit rusty, or if it's because of something that's happening this evening. But I'm feeling a little bit nervous. Um, it feels a bit like doing something that you know you can do, but you haven't done for a while. Maybe, you know, every year where you pull on ice skates and you go ice skating your annual trip and you think, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, so it could get messy. So at the end, just be really kind with your feedback. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, I want to talk to you today about a temptation or a trap that we can so easily slip into, a trap that we can fall into really easily, which is the temptation of comparison. Scott had a word about comparison just a couple of weeks ago, and I really feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us as a church about this. We all compare ourselves to other people far too easily and far too quickly. We do it in all kinds of ways. We compare our looks and our attractiveness. We compare our achievements and accomplishments, our possessions. We do it in all kinds of spheres and places. We compare ourselves at work. We compare ourselves at the gym, if you go to the gym. Uh, uh, we compare ourselves on social media. We compare ourselves far too easily. And of course, we often compare ourselves in church. We compare ourselves to others in how gifted that person might be and how spiritual that person uh, appears. We compare our prayer lives. We compare our relationships. We compare our parenting. We compare all sorts of things, even in church. Well, today I want to expose the, the, the sin of comparison smash the, the lie of, of us not, not, not being worthwhile, having our own intrinsic worth. And I want to reveal some truth for you uh, from the scriptures this morning. This is the second part in a short series that we're doing called I'm In. And apart from the clever branding and marketing, where all four, four of these talks uh, start with the phrase I'm In. And credit to uh, Craig Rochelle and the team at Life Church in the US uh, who are the clever ones behind the branding and whose uh, series we've used as inspiration for these talks. Um, but essentially, all of these four messages are about identity. They're about how God sees you and who he says you are. Now, last week, Sarah did a beautiful job of starting our series talking about uh, I'm Invited, this idea that however we feel about ourselves, however worthless we might feel, whatever we've done in our lives, God says, no, no, you're invited you're embraced, you're welcomed. I have a seat at the table just for you. Come and be part of the family. You are loved, you are welcome, you are invited. And this week, my I'm in phrase is I'm invaluable. I'm invaluable. And I want to spend our time this morning 
reminding us that we are of huge value in the kingdom of God, that you are uniquely made and uniquely gifted. Now, like many parents over the last year or so, Em and I have been homeschooling our kids uh, for a long time now. Although when I say Em and I, I mean Em, because I, I'm just the cheeky teaching assistant that kind of stops. I'm, I've been homeworking a lot, so I, I come in and cause a little bit of mischief. It's Em that's done most of the teaching and has done a brilliant job. Uh, and just, I can't remember how long ago it was, but, but I remember one time that we were teaching the kids about collective nouns. You all know about collective nouns, right? A collective noun is the term given to a group of animals, okay? So you know, obviously, that a single cow is called a cow, but a group of cows is called a herd, right? That's the collective noun. And you know that a single fish is a fish, but a group of fish is a shoal of fish or school. I'm confused now. Um, okay, so I know there are some quizzes, and I want to test your trivia. We're going to need some audience participation here. I'm going to test your knowledge of collective nouns. Does anyone know what a group of cats is called? Big cats are called a pride. That's more familiar. But no, it's actually a glaring of cats, which for dog lovers, that makes sense, totally. A, <laughs> a glaring of cats, okay? Uh, what about a group of bees? Anyone know what a group of bees might be called? This one threw me. Apparently, it's to do with the old, the English it's a bike of bees. A bike of bees. Random, right? Okay, what about a group of rattlesnakes? Anyone? Take a guess. A rumba of rattlesnakes. We've got a shiver of sharks and a crash of rhinos. Okay, so uh, there's some uh, examples of some collective nouns. Now, we all know that one singular follower of Jesus or disciple is called a Christian. But what do you call a group of Christians? What's the collective noun for a group of Christians? A church would be a good one. What about a committee of Christians? I mean, Christians love committees, right? Or my personal favorite, I thought of, I was like, what would you call a group of Christians? Maybe a grumbling of Christians. <laughs> Might be. Not you lot, obviously. Other groups of Christians. <laughs> A church, yeah, or a family. We use lots of different, and the Bible uses lots of different word pictures and metaphors. The Bible doesn't give us the, the official collective noun for a group of Christians, but I think one of the most famous and well-known is a body of Christians. Paul often uses the word picture of a human body and refers to a group of Christians as a body of Christians. Well, let's look at our passage uh, from today. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, if you've got a Bible. If you haven't, it will magically appear on the screens or on your screen at home. I'm going to read from verses 12 to 27. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is, made up, is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? 
But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, and that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So a group of Christians is one body, and the body is made up of many parts. This is the, the, the point that, that, that Paul uh, emphasizes again and again. And, and the, the, the key point here is that every single part of the body is invaluable. One big body with lots of different parts, but every single one of you is a part of the body, and every single one of you is invaluable. And you're invaluable for many, many reasons, two of which I want to look at this morning. Firstly, you are invaluable because you are uniquely made. You're invaluable because you are uniquely made. You are invaluable because you are you. And you are utterly unique. There is no one else on the face of the planet quite like you. You are unique. You have your own unique features, your own unique personality, your own unique gifts. You are unique, and that uniqueness makes you intrinsically valuable. No one has the fingerprints that you do. No one has a voice that sounds like you. No one has a face that can unlock your face ID on your iPhone. You were uniquely created, and that makes you incredibly precious to your creator. Now imagine if you had a hundred of the same thing. Imagine, for example, you had a hundred pairs of shoes. No one's got a hundred pairs of shoes, have they? Surely not. Um, but if they were all the same and you lost a pair, you'd probably think, huh, it's no big deal. I've still got 99 pairs of the identical shoe. It's not a big problem. In fact, if you lost one pair, you probably wouldn't even notice because you had 99 identical pairs of shoes. Well, there's a famous passage in the, in, in the Gospels of, of, a, of a shepherd representing God who loses one of his hundred sheep representing us. Collective noun, a flock of sheep, very good. Um, now, does the, does the shepherd just shrug his shoulders and say, huh, oh, well, like, I've still got 99, I've lost one, it's no big deal. No, he leaves the 99, as we sung this morning, and he goes and searches until he finds the one lost sheep. Or maybe that story doesn't impact you so much because you, can't, you couldn't care less about farm animals. Well, think about real people. Think about your wider family. I went to visit my mum and my stepdad just a couple of weeks ago. We had the most amazing time. My mum has the most incredible gift of hospitality. And um, we just enjoyed just eating amazing food. And it was, it was a wonderful stay. I remember actually my kids, most lunch times, uh, most meal times would sit down and, and look at me and be like, Dad, what, what is this? I'd be like, this, children, is Waitrose food. 
And when you shop at Aldi, and, and I love Aldi, I love Aldi. If you've heard me, I'm an evangelist for Aldi, right? They should pay me commission. But when you shop at Aldi and then you try Waitrose food. I mean, my kids were eating cream cheese on a cracker and my daughter looked at me, she was like, what, what is this? I said, I, I know you've never tasted anything like it. It's so heavenly and light and fluffy, but it is just cream cheese. It just comes from an organic cow in France from Waitrose. I just, it's just, anyway, and if we were sat around the table eating this fluffy, heavenly cream cheese, if one member of my family isn't there, that family meal is not complete because someone's missing. Or if we were at the playground, which we went to, we went to a playground, an adventure playground, if we got back in the car with my parents and only two of my kids, none of the grown-ups would be like, it's all right, we've got two. Like, let's go home. It's fine. Obviously not. We would be like, there's one missing. We need to go find the third. And then we would leave the car and go and find the third child because every one of my children is unique and special and precious. And every one of you are unique and special and precious to your creator. Now, in the body, there are lots and lots and lots of different parts. You could be a finger or a kidney or a chin or an anterior cruciate ligament. Some are visible and prominent like the limbs. Others are less visible and and hidden like the internal organs. Some are big parts like the head. Some are really small like the epiglottis. Does, does, anyone, does anyone, right, Gillian knows. The epiglottis, for those of you that don't know, is the little flappy bit of skin above your windpipe that stops food going into your lungs. It's a really important part of the body, but it's very small and unseen. I'm just trying to impress you guys. Is it? I don't know, <laughs> don't know if it's working. Um, and like Paul says in verses 22 to 24, there are some parts considered to be, to be weaker or, or, or less honorable or less presentable, but, but, but Paul's point is, is this. He says, regardless of visibility or size or prominence, all the parts are equally important and integral to the others because all of us together form one body. And without one part, we'd be less of a body. Many, many, many parts, one body. Every part of the body matters and every part of the body is invaluable. But but you see, it's all too easy to slip into that trap or the temptation of comparison to compare ourselves to others, to compare our parts with someone else's parts. And as soon as we start comparing ourselves, we end up with some kind of hierarchy, don't we? That's the the, the problem with comparison because, of course, what what we're doing there is we're, we're finding our worth and our value comparatively in comparison with other people rather than finding our worth and value in our identity as uniquely made and uniquely loved by our Heavenly Father. Comparison, it's obvious, goes one of two ways. When we compare ourselves to others, we either feel inferior to them or we feel superior to them. And Paul, in this passage, names and shames both of these. Comparison often makes us feel inferior to people because we look at others, look at other people look at other parts of the body and and we think in one way or another they are somehow better than us. Look at verses 15 to verse 20. We look at others and we conclude, verse 15, because I'm not a hand, or verse 16, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. Do you see that repeated phrase there twice in those verses? I 
don't belong to the body. It's when we say to ourselves, I'm not as good as them. I'm not as talented as her. I'm not as spiritual as him. So many of us look at others and we feel inadequate. We don't feel spiritual enough. We don't feel mature enough. We don't feel good enough. We don't feel talented or special enough. We look at other people and they pray such articulate prayers. They have such a lovely family. They have such a beautiful singing voice. They're so confident using their spiritual gifts. And we all too easily think that we don't amount to as much. We relegate our worth or contribution. We lower our value. We, 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 we stay quiet. We sit on our hands and we shrink back from playing our part. But every part matters. Every part matters. Every part is invaluable to the body. That's why Paul celebrates the different parts. Look at verse 17. He says, we can't all be an eye. Imagine how unbelievably grotesque it would be if we were all just one big eye. It would be gross. And look at verse 18. Paul says, God made you to be uniquely you. And he's made you just how he wants you to be. And he's put you just where he wants you to be. Do you see that? Comparison sometimes makes us feel inferior to others. And sometimes it makes us feel superior to others. Because we look at other people, other parts of the body. And we think that in one way or another, well, they're not as good as us. Look at verse 21. This is what happens when one part of the body looks at another part of the body and thinks, oh, I don't need you. Do you see that phrase repeated in verse 21? I don't need you. So when we look at other people and conclude, your part isn't as important as mine. You're not as special as me. You're not as gifted as me. That's the inner monologue that says, verse 21, oh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm a head, not a foot. I'm glad that I'm not that part of the body. I'm glad I'm not that person. And of course, the problem that God has with this is that this elevates or promotes us, which is pride, and it demotes or belittles another person. And to this, Paul says in verse 22 and 24 that every part matters and every part is invaluable to the whole body. And in fact, quite wonderfully, God honors the supposed weaker or less honorable or less visible parts of the body because he knows just how valuable they are. Your epiglottis is a very small and seemingly insignificant part of the body, but without it, food would get trapped in your windpipe and you would choke to death. It's small and we can't see it, but it is invaluable. Maybe you feel like an epiglottis. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm sure none of you feel like an epiglottis. But maybe some of you feel like you don't belong here or like you're not needed or that no one would miss you if you didn't show up for a few weeks. Maybe you look at others and you feel inferior and insecure. Listen, you are invaluable. You are invaluable. You are uniquely made and an integral part of the body and we need you. Whatever it is you do, whether it's big or small, seen or unseen, you are invaluable to God and invaluable to his body, the church. And I wonder if it isn't the supposed 
smaller or, or weaker things that God actually esteems and honors the most. The simple act of kindness to your neighbor, the, the welcome that you give to a stranger, the prayers that you pray, just faithful service in whatever areas you serve, things done in secret and in private, rather than any of the upfront stuff. Maybe it's those things that God honors the most. For my next illustration, I've organized a flyby <laughs> of the red arrows. It's just you can't see them. <laughs> As I was saying before the RAF interrupted, every part is unique because you are uniquely made. Secondly, you are invaluable because you are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely gifted. There's no one like you anywhere else in the world, and there is no one with your particular gifts and skills and passions. An eye can't be an ear, a hand can't be a foot. Each part has a different form and a different function because each part is made differently. But for the body to be a really healthy body, every part of the body must know what part of the body it is and be really secure and confident in that identity and then play its part, fulfill its form and function. So you might say, okay, I, I'm an eye. I need to help the body to see. I'm an ear. I need to help the body hear. I'm a liver. Some of you don't know. I, I, did, I couldn't remember what the liver does. It's in there somewhere, isn't it? it I'm a liver. I found out a function. I need, I need to produce bile. It's a nice thought, isn't it? To help the body digest food. Whatever part you are, you have a part to play. You need to fulfill your function because no one else can do what you can do. The very existence of the body as a body depends on every single part fulfilling the function for which it was made. So everyone needs to know their gifts. Everyone needs to use their gifts and to play an active part. Because if you don't, the whole body suffers. Paul mentions it in verse 26. He says, when one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part, part is paralyzed or hurting or not functioning or choosing not to be active, the whole body suffers. If you are an eye, but you stay closed, that's a problem for the whole body. If you're a nose, but you hold your breath and refuse to smell that's a problem for the whole body. If, if, if you're a toe, please don't put your feet up. If you're a liver, don't stop producing bile. The body needs bile, otherwise we cannot digest our food. Each and every one of you is part of the body, and we need you as part of the body, confident in who you are, confident in your value and worth, confident in your gifts. And if and when we all play our part, wow, the church is so healthy and so beautiful and so radiant. Now there's 
lots and lots and lots of different gifts. And every person in the body has this unique mix and blend of gifts. And for some examples of the spiritual gifts that God has given to his body, um, there are a few listed in the verses either side of our passage, which we didn't have time to read in full. They kind of bookend this passage. Paul references loads. In verses 8 to 10, he says that some people are gifted with a message of wisdom, words of knowledge, the gift of faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking or interpreting tongues. And then in verse 28, he talks about some being apostles and prophets and teachers and having the gift of miracles and healing and helping and guidance and tongues. That's not an exhaustive list, but it's some examples of the spiritual gifts that God has given. But the thing is, in reading example lists like this, I think sometimes it can be a little bit daunting or intimidating. Do you find this sometimes when you read lists like that and think, crikey, I'm not sure I've got any of those gifts. Maybe we read that list and think, I am not an apostle. I am not a prophet. I think I'll leave someone else to do the teaching who knows more than me. But honestly, friends, I want to demystify that that notion, that idea for you. Yes, we all know there are some kind of uber, stratospheric level gifted people out there that we might recognize as apostles with a capital A, apostle, or, or as a prophet with a capital P. But being an apostle with a little a, loads of you have got that gift. Being an apostle just means being a pioneer or a leader, a catalyst, a dreamer, someone who starts new things. And lots of you have that gift. Being a prophet with a small, lowercase p, it just means hearing from God. And loads of you have that gift. It means when you're praying for someone, you might have a sense of what the Holy Spirit might be saying to someone and you offer it humbly and you say something like, I think God might be saying this to you, can I pray for you? Rather than, I am a prophet with a capital P and thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Who does that? Loads of you are teachers. In the way that you mentor and disciple people and teach our kids and youth and you're leading life groups or Bible studies, you, you get my point. You, you all have these gifts. But the problem is that many of us don't know what gifts we have and we don't have spaces or places to practice or use those gifts. I think the kids are trying to make a point. They want to get picked up. <laughs> We've got time. We have got, we have got time. But I promise you, as a church leadership, we are absolutely committed and determined to helping you discover your gifts and then develop your gifts. In fact, so much of what we already do is set up primarily so you can discover your gifts and develop your gifts. So let me ask you, as a part of the body, invaluable part of the body, do you know what your gifts are? Because if you don't, you need to find out. You need to ask someone. It's a great way to start. Ask someone who knows you well. Ask someone in your life group, in your close circle of friends. Like, What do they see in you? What do they see you being good at? Look into it. Read. There are loads of good books and resources on gifts. That There's one called the Bible, which I recommend. Like re- and as you read these books and resources, ask the Holy Spirit what gifts he's given you. Because he made you. He created you. He gifted you. He will show you how you're gifted. Ask the Holy Spirit. Do you know your gifts? And once you discover your gifts, then you've got to do something. 
You've actually got to step out of your comfort zone and find spaces and places where you can try and you can explore. Maybe in a life group where it feels safer to practice the gift of prophecy, for example, or, or, or to join a team where you can see if you do have the gift of teaching or of guidance. I, I don't know. There's loads of spaces and places for it. You need to discover your gifts and you need to develop your gifts. And we want to help you to train you and empower you and release you to use your gifts because when we all know our identity as an invaluable, gifted part of the body and we get to start to play our, our, our function and our role, you honestly, individually, you will be so healthy. You'll begin to thrive. And as a healthy, functioning part of the body, the whole body will start to thrive. So, so, so beautiful. We're the body of Christ. There's one body with many, many parts, and each of you is invaluable, each and every one of you. Referring to a body of people as a group was not uncommon back in Paul's day. Other Roman orators often referred to society as being like the human body, referring to the body politic. But part of the point that they were making all those years ago was that there was a social hierarchy and that some people were more important and special and, and they had certain functions and roles and other people were much less so. Other people were less important. Some jobs were only fit for lesser people, for the more dispensable among us. And that's an attitude that was true in Paul's day and it's still an attitude that prevails today. Because we live in a world, in a society, a world of comparison a world of status, a world of hierarchy. But in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God and in the community that we call the church, this family here, the opposite is true. In the church body, there are no parts or gifts that are any more special than any others. But the critical point here is not that none of us have special status and all of us are lowly, the point, in fact, is the opposite. That somehow, because of God's incredible love for us, because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, all of us are somehow elevated and we all hold special status as beloved, forgiven, cherished, gifted children of God. And it's not that none of us are special, but all of us are special because we are all loved. We are all valuable. We are all gifted. That's the great leveler in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us is invaluable to God and every single one of you is invaluable to us. You're invaluable. Uniquely made, uniquely gifted. And it's beautiful. Amen?